are listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Tonight, we begin an expositional series in this final book of the Bible. You'll find this on page 1028 of the Pew Bible. 1028. We're going to be reading together from chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Hear the word of God. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. The book of Revelation is one of the most difficult and most glorious of all biblical books. It's filled with strange symbolism and unusual phenomena that's very hard to interpret at times. And this is one of the reasons why there are some, perhaps many, who are very hesitant to preach all the way through it. They might explain and apply the seven letters to the churches, but oftentimes they'll leave the rest untouched. And this is tragic because it contains some of the most sublime and majestic imagery in the scriptures. It reveals Jesus Christ in his glory being praised incessantly by the hosts of heaven. There's a throne, flashes of lightning and peals of thunder and a sea of glass that's as peaceful as anything this world has ever seen. We encounter in the book of Revelation an impressive woman and a great dragon and a child who is caught up to heaven. And it will describe the beauty and the glory of the new heaven and the new earth inhabited by all the saints. This is a wonderful book. It's designed to bring comfort and to cultivate courage in God's people. And to this 66th book of the Bible is attached a singular promise of benediction. As we read, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. I already feel blessed. Blessed are those who hear, and I hope you do too. And those who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. We should not reverse it as if it said, blessed is he who reads it not. The promised blessing is an encouragement to read it and to preach it and to put it into practice. Like the early Christians, we read aloud the word of God in public worship which we should. And when this book is read publicly, God gives a special blessing with it. 
Many believe it was written under the reign of the Roman Emperor Domitian, who reigned from 81 to 96 AD, and that means that John was writing during a time of intense persecution. He tells us himself that he was exiled to Patmos on account of his Christianity. So the Christians in the empire were being persecuted. They were suffering for the faith. And as William Hendrickson remarks, to them is given the assurance that God sees their tears, their prayers are influential in world affairs, and their death is precious in his sight. Their final victory is assured, their blood will be avenged, their Christ lives and reigns forever and ever. And the main point of this final book, if I can sum it up in one statement, is this, that Jesus and his bride are victorious. Despite the strength of evil and despite the spread of wickedness, Christ and his church are going to prevail. Revelation 17, the forces of evil will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And in the end, the devil and his hordes will be judged and evil will be purged and believers glorified. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Revelation 7.10. All of our sufferings and tears, all of our struggling and self-denial, all of our prayers are not in vain. Because as Paul says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So the book is here in our hands. It was written by the servant John, who was exiled on Patmos, and it's one of those biblical books in which the author is expressly named, thank God. And there's also evidence in the early church fathers who ascribed this to John, the beloved apostle. Now, the island of Patmos was this rocky, barren island in the Aegean Sea, and it was to this desolate place that Romans would send criminals to hard labor, <laughs> like the Siberian wilderness. And since Christians were viewed as criminals, Domitian had John exiled. And this is partly why the early Christians anticipated the promised consummation. They looked for the return of Jesus and the final judgment to destroy all evil. And they sincerely believed that it was imminent. And as well they might, because Paul says this to the Thessalonians, we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. It was this truth that enabled them to endure injustice and suffering. But as time passed and nothing happened, many wondered if it was true. It didn't help that scoffers multiplied and mocked the Christians for their hope. They said, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And as oppression and wickedness seemed to increase, believers were dying. It was tempting to quote the preacher that all is vanity. It's just a chasing after wind. But because God loves his people, he consoles us by revealing his plan. And he gave this book right at the right moment. 
And the book opens with an express announcement about its own nature, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why it's often called the apocalypse. It's from the Greek word apokalupsis, which means to reveal or to unveil or to make manifest. And here's God unveiling his plan for the ages. It's the same word that's used frequently by Daniel in his Old Testament apocalyptic prophecy. You may remember when Daniel said to King Nebuchadnezzar, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. In a dream, the God who reveals mysteries unveiled a future plan. The king sees this gigantic statue made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and clay. And Daniel said that it referred to things that would happen in the latter days. And it symbolized kingdoms shattered by a stone that represented Christ. And Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, You saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. And John picks up that terminology of Daniel to introduce his apocalypse. It's a heightened form of prophecy in which God unveils the future. It's incredible. John's apocalypse is clearer and lengthier and more fully developed than Daniel's ever was. And what the Old Testament prophets saw from afar, John is now seeing much closer. And these are mysteries. They're mysteries of heaven and earth and God and man and angels and demons And they have to do with the life of this world and the life of the world to come. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in this book. And that word revelation teaches us that this is not something that we could ever reason out. These are not things that can be discovered by human effort or ingenuity. What you and I are going to be considering over this exposition are the deep divine mysteries revealed by God himself. His mysteries involve the decree, our salvation, Christ's glory, Jesus Christ mediating the plan for history of a world and his church. Because it was he alone, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who was able to open those seals, as we'll find. And as our great prophet, he reveals to us all things that are necessary to be edified and saved. He is the great revealer, after all. At the end, we read, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming. Jesus made it known. Jesus foreknew and he foretells the things that are soon to take place. But you know something? That word revelation also points to the one whom the prophecy reveals. Not only is Jesus the great revealer who made known these things, but he is also the one who is revealed, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's the key to the entire book. He is its subject and he is its center. The phrase of Jesus Christ is both subjective and objective. You grammarians know what I'm talking about. It's the revelation made known by Christ as the possessor of it, the subjective, It's also the revelation of Christ, his person, his offices, his authority. 
And it must be so, since all the other biblical books are also revelations of Jesus Christ. All the biblical writers were inspired by the Spirit of Christ, and there'd be no need to single out this book if it was merely something Jesus gave. It's of him. It's a book in which he's revealed. We see him exalted in his glory. We see him standing in the midst of the lampstands. We see him with white hair, fiery eyes, burnished, glowing feet, thunderous voice, and a shining face as bright as the sun. And as others have put it, Christ, therefore, is the sum and the substance of the gospel. King Jesus will come again to receive his bride and to take her home, and he will judge the wicked, and he will reward the righteous, and he will set up his eternal kingdom. And as the lamb who was slain, he'll reign supreme over the entire universe, and his return will signal the great day of the Lord, and what a day it's going to be. For some, it's going to be very solemn and sobering, And for others, it's going to be a very welcome and joyful day. And at the center of it all is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory. Because in him, all the lines of truth converge, and from him, all the beams of glory radiate. And in this book, as we'll see, his glory is unveiled with unprecedented clarity and majesty. We may not have the temple's cedar and gold. We may not have the temple's incense and sacrifices. But friends, we have in this book a beauty and a majesty that far surpasses anything in the Old Testament. And insofar as the Spirit bears witness by and with it in our hearts, we rejoice. John makes known the rationale behind the revelation of these mysteries. He says, God gave them to Christ to show to his servants, you and me, the things that must soon take place. So it goes from Jesus through an angel to John and fellow believers. And as God, he knows all things, but as mediator, he receives it from the Father. And everything we are and everything we have and hope to enjoy is in and through Jesus Christ. By the way, that's why we pray in his name. We have nothing except through him. And God honors his son and he blesses his people by channeling it all through him. And these mysteries are not given to proud, ambitious, haughty intellectuals. They're given to those who are poor in spirit and pure in heart and despised by the world. Those on whom he set his love and those to whom he's made his promises, and those for whom his son shed his blood. Per the psalmist in Psalm 25, the secrets of the Lord are reserved for those who fear him. They're things that must soon take place and certainly come to pass. And another reason for the book of Revelation is to show that Daniel's fulfilled. What Daniel expected in the latter days, John is seeing is happening now. The forces of evil are being defeated. The messianic kingdom is advancing. What Daniel predicted as a promise, John is identifying as a fulfillment because you and I are living in the latter days. In the death and resurrection of Christ, the long-awaited kingdom has been inaugurated. 
I don't think we recognize the privilege we have of living in these days. Everything revealed must take place because God secured it by his promise. And he unveils to us now what before had been hidden. And this ought to encourage you and I to recognize the signs of the times and to live in light of them. Doesn't it put into perspective the world and the church and the day of judgment? Because in this sacred inspired book, we're going to meet with the great white throne. It's coming. And all the events of human history are moving steadily toward that event. The ladies, I think, are reading a book, living life backwards in light of that event. And according to John's testimony, its grandeur is going to be unprecedented. And all the dead, great and small, will be assembled at one time before the Lord. Think of that. What are there, 8 billion people right now? And those infallible heavenly books will be opened and used as evidence in the judgment. And what on earth compares with that? The sheer magnitude is humbling. And I think we should take all these things to heart. And we should apply them to ourselves. As the psalmist says in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You know, last week, Ray exhorted us to trust in providence and don't be anxious. It's an excellent exhortation. And here is a book that gives us reason for hope and for faith and for courage. God has shown us what will happen and he calls us to trust on him and to trust in him. Revelation 21.5, he who was seated on the throne said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And John also tells us something very important about the manner of this revelation. Verse 1, it says, He made known by sending his angel to his servant John. That phrase, made it known, loses something in the translation. Literally, it means he signified or he revealed through symbols. That's what the word means. It's the same word used by Daniel when interpreting the king's dream. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. And so when that word is used in apocalyptic literature, it means to show something by signs, by symbols. And that means that Revelation is conveying these mysteries through symbolic disclosure. There's going to be all kinds of things in this book. We expect to find symbolic visions and figurative communications, and God will show what must take place, and John will testify to what he's seen. And that's indicative of this point. He'll bear witness to everything he saw. He observed them with his eye, and he can testify as an eyewitness. And what he saw teaches us that things are not always as they seem to be, that's why you and I have to live by faith. Providence may suggest one thing, the wicked prosper, but his word teaches us another, believers triumph. Which one are you going to believe? When evil escalates, we might be tempted to become discouraged. And yet, despite all appearances, the ultimate defeat of evil, according to this inspired book, is certain. Christ's kingdom is advancing.
Hell's gates are failing. Saints are flourishing. And these are things in the course of world history that are absolute. So take heart, Christian. Salvation is nearer to you now than ever before. And let's not miss how John describes himself in the language of the courtroom. He bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. So God's truth and Christ's glory are confirmed by the testimony of a credible witness. He testified to the earthly ministry of Christ in the gospel, and he testified to the heavenly ministry of Christ in Revelation. He's an eyewitness. And given our doubts and our weaknesses, God knows that we need this kind of confirmation. At all times, we need fresh influence of the Spirit, and we need new measures of grace. I do. I'm sure you do too. This is objective testimony from an eyewitness that serves to bolster our faith. And my dear friends, everything revealed in this book is absolute truth. There is a throne in heaven. And God himself is seated on that throne. And it's a throne high and lifted up and it's divine and supreme and universal. His throne is eternal and unchangeable and absolutely invincible. And the psalmist implies its stability when he says God has established his throne, Psalm 103, verse 19. And that means that he's reigning supreme over all the affairs of this world. I don't care what happens in Washington. God's in charge. And he's ordained whatsoever comes to pass, every single detail. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. So let's heed Elder Gilliland's exhortation. Let's not be anxious. King Jesus has control of everything and nothing on earth surprises him. He has the keys of death and Hades, as we'll find, so that no one comes or goes unless he turns the key. What a blessing and privilege it is to have this book. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Every divinely inspired book is valuable, but this one is especially precious. The particular blessing attached to this book suggests as much, doesn't it? It pulls back the veil and gives you and I an opportunity to get a glimpse of heaven. And with absolute certainty, this reveals what God has ordained for the future. He made it known to his servants, his ultimate plan for the world and the church. And it is right for you and I to study a book which the Lord himself said is blessed. <laughs> it contains the fruits and the fulfillment of Christ's agony and death on a cross. The consequence of his suffering are laid out here before our eyes. He who was unjustly judged and condemned now reigns supreme. He who was wrongly crucified is shown in his glory and triumph. And he bestows grace and he distributes crowns and he confers honor on his people. And he does judge the wicked. And he will establish his kingdom and it will be an everlasting kingdom. And mind you, we will reign with him forever. Wrap your mind around that. Never to all eternity 
will we ever be threatened by the world or the flesh or the devil again. And according to his promise, as we read and hear this book over the coming year, we will be blessed. We'll have fresh insight. We'll experience more growth. We'll get stronger faith. We'll enjoy greater rejoicing and we'll have greater assurance. And so we pray that the Spirit will enlighten our minds and open our hearts to this truth. And may he shower upon us that blessing which is promised for reading it. May we grow in grace and Christian maturity as a result of doing it. Thank God for the book of Revelation. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we pause and we thank you for this blessed, sacred book. We understand that in it contains mysteries that can be discovered in no other way. And you've promised to bless us as we read it, as we keep it, as we embrace it. We pray that the Spirit will guide us as we consider it in the coming months and years. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.